When Titanic came out, <gasps> I had a poster of him on my wall. Wow. Again, I probably would have been 10. And his bangs, <laughs> yeah. the center part, oh, dreamy. And how they kind he, of get his, like frostier towards the yeah. tip. Very frosty once mm. he's in the bloody water. Am I exactly. Right? Yes, they do turn into icicles, <laughs> and tragically, we lost Leo. We lost Leo in Titanic. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alexi Toliopoulos, and I'm Jen Fricker. Welcome to the Big Film Buffet. It's a podcast for pop culture fans and people looking for what to watch recommendations. Today on our main course, we are serving up a recommendation of a film that has just landed on Netflix that we think you should spend your weekend with. And of all the films out on Netflix this weekend, we reckon you should spend some time with The Wolf of Wall Street. My fucking warriors will not hang up the phone until their client either buys or fucking dies! Jen, we're in the podcast, we're talking Wolf of Wall Street, and I am ready to finally discuss one of the icons of cinema, Martin Scorsese, the director of this film. One of your personal heroes, right? Personal hero. I live my life by the Martin Scorsese cookbook, which is his mother's cookbook, Uh the Scorsese family tome. He's one of my idols. He directed my favorite movies, Goodfellas, Casino. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York, The Last Temptation of Christ. I could go on, and yes, I will go on. Shutter Island. Shutter (laughs) Island, The Aviator. I love him so much. I love his movies. And this is one that I've only seen once before when it first came out. For real? I'm so surprised by that. Yeah, I don't know why. I think there's something with this movie where I didn't quite get it the first time, didn't quite connect with it the first time. But let me tell you this, it was a pure joy to step into the hallowed halls of Wall Street and howl like the wolf with this movie. Oh my God. (laughs) But you're a big fan of this one. You love it, right? I love this film. Yeah, I really connected it from the Mm get-go. The first time I saw it, it was in like 2014. I was in New York. Oh my God, the home of Wall Street itself. The home of Scorsese, baby. I was on the Upper East Side and I went to like a matinee screening of 92nd Street. It was- The stones throw away from Wall Street. You know, in New York, uh, you got the Upper East Side. (laughs) No, but I saw it at a matinee screening Mm-hmm. And it was me and just a bunch of old Jewish ladies. Wow. And it was really cute because they're they going all... to see Fran Leibowitz cameoing as a judge. I honestly think so. So they were walking out, and I just remember their review of it was I really liked it, but why did there have to be so much swearing? <laughs> That's all I remember. And I was like, it's perfect. So yeah, it's a lot of swearing in this movie. Famously, I think this movie still holds the record for most F bombs dropped in a movie. For real. I think that might be true. No. Freaking way. Freaking hell, I think it's true. And also it beat out Scorsese's Casino as previous record holder. Ah. Is that how you saw your favourite Scorsese films? By the yeah. Number of F-bombs? Man of F-bombs. Yeah. So this might be number one now. <laughs> this might be at the top. Uh, I saw this movie when it first came out on a date with the one that got away. So maybe that's why I haven't revisited it. Wow. That's true. Not the best date movie, not the worst date movie. Perhaps Fifty Shades of Grey from our previous episode would have done better, but who knows? So what is The Wolf of Wall Street for those that are uninitiated? So The Wolf of Wall Street is a nickname for a man called Jordan Belfort. This film is based on his story, partially fictionalised, and yeah, he becomes obscenely wealthy, right? 
Yeah, very quickly. It's also a collaboration between Martin Scorsese and his modern-day muse, Leonardo DiCaprio, who worked mm. on The Aviator, Gangs of New York, this movie, Shutter Island. And I would say it's kind of like their peak so far of where they've been going because it builds up. But also, I believe, for me, it builds on like a great history of Martin Scorsese's cinema, which is so much in that kind of rise and fall of an American person. Mm. Like this movie begins with someone with a dream to like get rich and it is about that world drawing them in that is glamorized but then also becomes quite sickening or grotesque. Mm. I think that's why I maybe didn't feel connected to this movie the first time was because I think that's so well done in movies like Goodfellas where he glamorizes the world of the gangster or Casino where he glamorizes this gangster's idea of Las Vegas and you're drawn to it but then he like takes that away from you by going like yeah it is crime it's awful and I think this movie has this grey area that I didn't quite comprehend at first or maybe like the general public where they were saying like this movie glamorizes this world because I find this movie grotesque from the start Mm. and I think that this is a really grotesque world it's a movie all about grotesque behavior it's a grotesque menagerie of disgustingness this movie which I can see people like being drawn to and being like wow they're having a fun time they're partying they're doing drugs but I think that it captures this idea of like the celebratory nature of that stuff Mm. and the siren's call of this world. And then you really see that undoing when you have that rise, you got to have that fall. Mm. And Jordan Belfort's fall is laced with a lot of quaaludes and broken glass. And the cocaine. And the cocaine everywhere. I mean, you're the Scorsese expert i'm a nut okay. i'm a nut what for is the guy. stan the fandom for scorsese oh uh, we're called the man scorsese little italians <laughs> italiano <laughs> would you, you so say much. like most of his films are usually about a man in search of the american dream trying to better himself mm. make himself rich and usually follows like their rapid decline yeah i would say that that would be an apt way to do it is like the idea of the american dream the corruption of it and also the ideas of guilt and sin because he's like a Catholic guy. He Mm. almost became a priest if he went down another path in life. And so I think that there's so much of like that idea of sin being exciting Mm. and sin being punishing. And I think The Wolf of Wall Street is about that. And I think it is an indictment on capitalism rather than like a celebration of the excess that capitalism can give you. Yeah, for sure. I think it'd be really reductive to be like, it's just about a party boy. Mm. Like, it's so much more than that. Exactly. I will say, though, are, like, multi-million dollar yachts very fun to look at? Mm -hmm. People doing insanely illegal things, very cinematic? Of course. And, like, that is why Scorsese is so good because he Mm -hmm. can pick through these stories. I mean, this is a quite dark and true story that has like affected a lot of people in real life and he's managed to make it into Mm. proper like capital C cinema. Absolutely. And I think if you haven't seen this movie before, I'm going to give you some great reasons of why to watch it. Mm -hmm. You're seeing Jonah Hill, beloved comedic actor from Superbad. That's what he's known for. Shift his entire career post-Moneyball into that realm of prestige cinema, working with like the biggest directors in Hollywood. Going from comedy, going to drama. And I think it is one of those great shift performances where he uses all the things that make him funny to make him also be like laughed at to play like the buffoon in this like rip ride through hell Mm. where you see him like be goofy be goofed around look insane with big teeth i think it's a magnificent performance by him 
Also, this is one of the movies that I will give credit to winning Matthew McConaughey that Oscar. Yes. He won for Dallas Buyers Club, but this hits right in that McConaissance, which is when he's shifting his career as well. He's going from stuff like rom-coms, like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and all of those weird little rom-coms that kind of like fell away, like mm. The Wedding Planner, and shifting his career back into the trajectory of like prestige cinema, big directors, dramatic films. Yeah, it was this, as you're saying, Dallas Buyers mm-hmm. Club and... Lincoln Lawyer, True Detective. True Detective, that's right. He has that grizzled, like, thin, mm. pained man look. Absolutely. <laughs> he must detective. have been doing it all at the same time. Yeah. And I think this plays with his persona of that carefree, guru-esque guy. And you've got that scene with him going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, I think that captured the world's, like, love of Matthew McConaughey again. Like, going, what? who is this guy? And knowing that tidbit that he improvised that on set because that's his way of getting into character and finding the groove. Another standout performance is obviously Margot Robbie. Yeah. As uh, Jordan Belfort's second wife. Mm -hmm. Watching it was the first time I'd really seen her in anything. I'd never seen her. I don't think I'd ever heard of her before. Mm. It's a magnetic performance, completely powerful. I love how in control she is Mm. and how much agency her character has. I don't think I'd seen anything like it, I don't know, maybe ever. Like maybe in Scorsese's canon, Sharon Stone in Casino, the aforementioned, that is of that similar ilk. But I think the way that Margot Robbie plays it to always have the upper hand of Leonardo DiCaprio, it just works so magnificently. Yeah, it'd be so easy to reduce that character to just like, oh, she's just the hot bimbo wife. Mm -hmm. But the depth that she brings to it and you can see that she really is in love. Yes. She's magnetic and so sexy and like weaponizes that without kind of reducing this character to a caricature. And in a really new way, like there's a tidbit on this movie that's always stuck with me. In the first time she seduces the Jordan Belfort character. In the script, she was meant to be like in lingerie opening those doors, but she decided that's not how her character would do it. She's going to be completely naked apart from stockings. And I think that speaks so much to that character to just like completely understand how to turn this guy on. It's Mm. not subtlety. You have to go big. Yeah. And that's like Jordan Belfort's whole motivation. It's like he is all or nothing. Yeah. He's greed incarnate. And for lack of a better word, greed is cool. (laughs) I also think that team up of Leo and Jonah, their chemistry together works so great. It kind of feels like it's built on that real friendship where they're like egging each other on. There's one scene in the film where Leonardo DiCaprio is like, teasing Jonah Hill hearing that he's heard a rumor that he's married to his first cousin and you just have Jonah Hill going on like basically a rift improvised thing or like justifying it and it just felt so built on like real friendship I I love it so much yeah and then of course it's gifted us with the real life Leo and Jonah friendship which I mean it's so memeable Absolutely. Just the photos of them at the beach together and getting coffee in New York. That I'm like, coffee oh, God one bless. When, where Leonardo DiCaprio is riding up to him pretending to be a fan. Yes. Love the, that freaking comic image. If we had to break them up, though, mm-hmm. which one would you be friends with? In the divorce? The yeah, friend yeah, yeah. divorce? I'm going to take Jonah. I have to. Right. Jonah is my boy. I feel like I looked like him my whole life. I'm a curly-haired, chubby guy. Mm-hmm. I love his style. We have so much in common, Jonah. 
Fortnite. We have so much in common. Are all your friends just people who look like you, though? Like, that's so crazy. <laughs> well, you've seen my friends, so... I, mean, I think, it, you know, we have similar interests. He loves Adidas. I uh-huh. love Adidas. I even bought his collaboration with Adidas. I bought nearly a full line. I bought wow. most of the different items that you could put together. Far out. Because I want to live that Jonah Hill lifestyle. Uh-huh. And I think he was so imperative for me finding my voice as a young man. As a person who wants to get into comedy and want to like make movies, super bad for like me wanting to get into making stuff and wanting to be funny and like be like professionally funny. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I owe him so much of my life. So I guess I've got to take him. That's I think we'd have a fun time hanging out. All That's... his movies about hanging out. I want to hang out with him like that. And I feel like if you were to ever make a movie, it'd be an A24 type of situation, you know? <laughs> You just A24 scream A24 hangout. Hang yes, well, I am a 24-year-old, so of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to take Leo. Is that yeah. what your choice anyway? Well, likewise, you know, Leo and I are beautiful. Mm-hmm, we, yes. <laughs> we both date models. Your model-esque lifestyle. Um, I can see you on a yacht. I don't know. He is very fascinating to me. Mm. I used to be obsessed with him. When Titanic came out, <gasps> I had a poster of him on my walls. Wow. Again, I probably would have been 10. And his bangs <laughs> yeah. descend apart. Oh, dreamy. And how they kind of get like frostier towards the yeah. tip. Very frosty once mm. he's in the bloody water. Am exactly. I right? Yes, they do turn into icicles. <laughs> and tragically, we lost Leo. We lost Leo in Titanic. Jack sank to the bottom. Yeah. But he was my first like big celebrity crush. I had no photos way. of him on my walls. And you were wearing oh, those Leo. Claire Danes fairy wings from exactly. Romeo and Juliet. Oh my gosh. Yes. I read his unauthorized biography. Really? Yeah. It was definitely one of those ones my parents got for me for like $5 from one of those oh my God. basement bookstores <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> Yeah. You know where the paper feels like you'd rub the ink off it? <laughs> it's printed on by a stamp. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, yeah, I feel like I know him. I can see you also saving the world with Leo. Oh, like environmental. Environmental stuff. Let's put it out there. Yeah. Uh, sorry, got a Tumberg. Jen's the new one in town. <laughs> the new climate warrior. Yeah. yeah, the new climate warrior is Jen Fricker. That's me. <laughs> Rather than taking one each, yeah. what if they were both your friends? Like a team Ooh, of friends? Yes. And then what would their role be? Like, you know how in a friendship mm. group there's like, there's the one that's always there. There's yep. the fun one who like sends you memes and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Which one is which to you, do you think? Okay, who would be the better friend? I would say Johnny Hill, he seems loyal. The guy mm. seems loyal. He's got a close-knit group of friends. I hope I'm part of it. And I think that he would be very sweet and kind. He would be the Mr. DNM, if you will. But I think, you know, Leo, he would be aloof. But when he's around, you would know it. What do you mean? He's a Scorpio classically. Leonardo Scorpio, if you will. And I feel Wait, like I'm that- just going to double check he's a Scorpio. <laughs> okay. I'm fairly certain I remember that from his unauthorized biography. He's a Scorpio, yeah. Leonardo because Scorpio? Because I was really upset because Scorpio shouldn't date. Wow. <laughs> so you already know his personality as a Scorpio, yeah. so you can't be with him in that way. Yeah. But can you be friends of a Scorpio? Of course. What are the characteristics of a Scorpio? Aloof. Okay. Mysterious. <gasps> he's loyal. Extremely mysterious. He would be loyal, yes. Extremely loyal. He's worked with Scorsese five times. Mm. That's loyalty. Mm -hmm. Mercurial and very passionate. But you have to work for it. Like a cat. Like a cat? Okay, I'm thinking now, what is Jonah Hill's star time? He's a Sagittarius. Okay, he's a Sagittarius. Sagittarius Scorpio, what is their 
connection there. Look, I have not befriended many Sagittariuses. Really? In my life. Not by choice. Okay. They've just not come into my orbit. Speaking as a Scorpio, <laughs> I just looked up Sagittarius Scorpio friendship compatibility. Mm-hmm. A relationship between a Scorpio and Sagittarius is one that is much better allowed to develop over time. Wow, okay. Rather than being rushed into, which I guess if you're working on a film is good because like a Scorsese mm-hmm. film, that's going to shoot for like. For like half a year probably. Yeah, exactly. All you've got is time. Plenty of time. Here we go. Both Scorpio and Sagittarius want to explore and experience things in life. They could have a lot of adventures together. We know that. They love we to go that. to the coffee shop together. <laughs> the greatest adventure together. known to man to the Starbucks. Here's another thing, Jonah Hill, why I'm Team Jonah forever. Mm-hmm. He wanted that shift in his career. He worked completely to scale, basically working for the lowest that you could work for this movie just because he wanted to work with Leo and Scorsese so bad. To me, that's a real go-getter. Mm. That's some go-getter attitude that I would love to employ one day when I'm also a millionaire already. He does seem like a great guy. His sister seems great. Beanie, Beanie Feldstein. I love Beanie Feldstein. From Booksmart, Book from Ladybirds. Mm. Love her. Seems like a great family. Great family. Get me in there. I want to get in. <laughs> I'm going to be their long lost twin and imposter in their family. I feel like someone's going to use this podcast as evidence one day against us. <laughs> <laughs> like they were creepy from the get go. Let's talk about some of the other people in this film. Cause there are a lot of cameos that mm-hmm. if you aren't expecting it, you're like, huh, that's crazy. Like I didn't realize Fran Lebowitz yeah. was in this movie until I watched pretend it's a city. Yeah. Which is another Scorsese joint on Netflix as well. She's like a cultural critic. Really? Mm, mm. There's a few more cameos. Like I didn't notice Sharon Jones from Sharon Jones of the Dap Kings. One of my favorite musicians of all time. She's the wedding singer in this movie. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. I didn't see it until this time ago. Holy shit. I know that voice. I know that person. Yeah. Oh, and my favorite is Bike Jones as this like downtrodden (laughs) accountant. He's just so good at playing like, chinless middle class yeah. people and he's a beloved director but when he pops up acting and stuff yeah. like Three Kings the movie with Ice Cube but also that music video Fat Boy Slim Praise You mm-hmm. when he plays the kind of leader of the dancers yeah there's something so like wet about him <laughs> clammy handshake energy absolutely <laughs> I love him I love him in this movie but there's just like so many great faces in this film I think one thing that this movie also does really well is kind of like that explainer on how capitalism even works Mm. to a layman like me that doesn't understand it, speaking to it in a very cinematic way. I think it is so cinematic because it's Leonardo DiCaprio as Jordan Belfort explaining to camera Mm. in character what he's doing and why. So something like that would normally be like an economics lecture, which is not interesting. (laughs) Boring. Sorry, kids. But That's why I don't already understand it. <laughs> exactly. But because, you know, you're getting explained to by this iconic kind of Leo mm. character now and like the canon of his work. Mm. And because you're aware of his motivations and stuff, you're like, oh, well, that seems fine. Like you're going along with it. Yeah. He's an unreliable narrator, but he's so charming that Absolutely. you go with it. And I think it really sparked like those films that came just after it, like the big short. We've got explanations of really complex things in really matter of fact. Subprime mortgage crisis, baby. <laughs> in very matter of fact, like ways directly to you. 
And then, of course, Laundromat as well, the Steven Soderbergh film with Meryl Streep. I think that's like this new type of cinema that is like explanations on crises we're still dealing with. Mm. It is in that lineage of Scorsese movies and movies inspired by Martin Scorsese, which are in that vein of a Goodfellas movie. Mm. Now, Goodfellas is like a classic gangster film from 1990. You've got the true story of Henry Hill, a mobster who went, into witness protection and that whole film is like this narrated film where he from his perspective narrates his world that he's in and i think it's like hugely influential because it's got a whole new style of editing which is very music video smash cutty editing very fast paced by Scorsese's longtime editing collaborator, Thelma Schumacher, who's edited all his movies, basically, including Wolf of Wall Street. And then it's also got like these very pop mixtape soundtracks where they've got music from the period, anachronistic music, Rolling Stones, like that kind of stuff where you've got a big pop-heavy soundtrack full of hits and B-sides, which kind of bring you into this world. And I think the Wolf of Wall Street is... The best version since Goodfellas. There's a lot of imitators that many of them have become classics. Like I love Boogie Nights. That's on Netflix Mm. right now as well. That is a masterpiece as well. And it follows that same genre path created by it. And as does another Margot Robbie movie, which I think is fantastic, I, Tonya. Mm. It follows that kind of same world of like narrated, bringing you in with uh, someone's point of view and then making you feel so invigorated by this pop soundtrack. And I think the way that Scorsese has been able to do it is that makes you feel this glamorized world. It makes you excited to find this world. And then when you have like that hangover or like that crash feeling, it feels so powerful because even you, who is a normal person living a normal life, get duped into the fantasy of this world. Yeah, you start feeling for these villains. Mm. I, Tonya, like Tonya Harding is a villain. Jordan Belfort is a villain and hurt people. And again, one of the controversies is that people did feel like it was glamorizing this lifestyle, it was glamorizing this person who has hurt people. Mm-hmm. But that is why it's so great to have these films because you can sit in that discomfort and mm-hmm. you can kind of put your moral radar kind of just turn it off for a bit couple hours yeah (laughs) you'll be a good person again when you walk out of the cinema exactly you're living through their eyes Mm. and the eyes are the window to the soul and the soul is the window into art which is cinema and art is everything it's a reflection of yourself (gasps) and yourself is just the energy of the universe concentrated. And that is what Matthew McConaughey <laughs> teaches us in those opening scenes of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the modern day masterpiece, The Wolf of Wall Street from Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio is on Netflix this weekend. And we suggest you give it a good old watch. And if you like listening to this episode of The Big Film Buffet, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us wherever you get your podcasts from and give us a rate and a review if you could. This episode was hosted by Alexi Toliopoulos and me, Jen Fricker. Produced by Michael Sonner and Anu Hasbold. Edited by Jeffrey O'Connor. And executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 